Second Peter, if you would turn in your Bibles to Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. We've been going through a series growing in grace and just walking our way through the book of Second Peter. These are Peter's final words that he is writing to now believers through out all time now, and now we, thousands of years later, get to listen and learn from this apostle who saw Jesus, who knew the scriptures, and gives us much certainty in the passage that we're looking at today. It was uh, 1957, the BBC news channel in Britain decided to run a three-minute segment on TV. And it was just at the start of spring. And they talked about that the early spring hadn't just taken Britain by surprise. It was actually worldwide that spring had come early. And it had come early even uh, on the border of Switzerland and Italy, right there in, in the, the lush, green, mountainous plains and areas there. The slopes overlooking Lake Lugano had already burst into flowers and at least a fortnight year earlier than usual. How long is a fortnight? I don't know. That's a British term. But earlier than normal, right? And what was the reason for the celebration? Well, it was a mild winter. Spring had come. And most importantly of all, the trees were blooming. Specifically, all of the spaghetti trees. The spaghetti trees were in full blossom, which means that there in Italy and Switzerland... It was going to be a great spaghetti harvest. And so they were going to grow nice and long on those trees. And the Britons, who had not, you know, this is 1957, they hadn't eaten a lot of pasta maybe at this point, got, you know, many calls into the BBC that week saying, how can I grow my own spaghetti tree? And the instructions were very simple. They replied right back, just take a sprig of spaghetti and put it in some tomato sauce and it'll sprout in a week. Now you look at that and you're like, wait a minute, does spaghetti grow on trees? Just so you know, it does not, okay? <laughs> Some of you are looking at me confused. But those Britons there for a moment just had a pretty big prank played on them, right? We call it a prank of, of sorts. And, and they were, in some of their minds, they were fully trusting, right? They were pretty certain, oh, Spaghetti grows on trees. I mean, I saw the, the documentary on it. Uh, several others have done similar things. Uh, marshmallows, I remember there was one on that, I think in Florida. And because of the particularly wet raining season, the marshmallows were spoiling on the trees because they weren't getting harvested soon enough. Just, you know, marshmallows don't grow on trees. They grow on bushes. I'm kidding, they don't. <laughs> they don't grow on those either. But, you know, have you ever been in that situation? Have you ever been deceived or maybe you're just, you're just not quite sure or certain that someone isn't uh, trying to pull your leg, as they would say, or trying to deceive you? Samantha and I spent six uh, years in a college dorm with 300 college-age guys. Do you think there were any pranks that went on there? <laughs> we could tell stories. Mannequin heads in the beds when they're supposed to be there. I got 72 slices of American cheese put under my mattress. I didn't find out about it for three months. I wondered why my ankles were sore. Finally lifted the mattress. There was a lump underneath, and it was this cheese. I mean, there's all sorts of fun stuff. 
Kids don't get any ideas. Kool-Aid in the shower heads. You know, stuff that you just, removing the stalls between, yeah, anyways, there's all sorts of things that happened in a guy's dorm. You know, guys trying to prank or deceive one another. Have you, though, ever been in that situation? You felt, I don't know if I can trust this person. Or I don't know if I can trust this news article. (laughs) Or I don't know if I can trust this Facebook post. Don't worry, Facebook tells you now if you're supposed to trust it or not. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Or I don't know, you know, you can go through the whole list and we so easily can be deceived, right? And what are we looking for? What are we searching for? We, We want to know what is true. We want to know what is right. We want to know what is certain. Today, in the passage that we're looking at, Peter is going to say, we have something that is sure. We have something that is certain. We have something that you can depend upon and rest upon. And Peter's going to tell us, it's the very scripture that you're actually holding in your hand right now. And today, in Second Peter we're going to look at chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. The title, really, of this passage is The Certain Word of God. The Certain Word of God. That what we have today, we can look at and we can trust. And we can know that, yes, this has revealed who God is, who God says he is. And it's revealed Christ to us. And it's sure and it's certain. Look with me and read together, if you would, with me. 2 Peter chapter 1, we'll start in verse 16, reading through the end of the chapter, beginning now. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in our hearts." Knowing this, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So we're going to divide this into two sections. Verses 16 through 18 is really the personal account of Peter himself. It's his own personal, what we would say, eyewitness account. And then the last would be, God's account, really. Not just God's account, though, but God's revelation and the sureness and certainty of it. So God's word is sure. Let's start in verse 16 with Peter's account. And he begins here by saying, for we have not, he starts with the not, notice, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. This word fable is the same word we get the word myth from. And he starts off with this, and why would he start off with this? That we haven't followed really cunningly devised fables. Are there any stories out there that are believable? That you say, oh yeah, that that seems true, but it's actually a myth or a legend? 
Peter was even dealing with it during his time and shortly thereafter, where there was even, you know, there's other gospel, gospel accounts, supposed gospel accounts that aren't in our Bible. There's the gospel of Thomas. There's, there's others that people wrote shortly after Christ, and you look at them, and some of it may even seem believable, but many of it, what does it not do? It doesn't match up with the rest of Scripture. It doesn't show Christ for who he is. And so there were fables, there were myths, there were legends that were going out. And why would this happen? Well, think about, think about it. Why does it happen today? Why are there false teachers today? If we just say it blatantly, why are there false teachers? And sometimes it's, like, well, it's hard to label them, but why are there people out there starting their own cults, starting their own following? Do not men love that power, right? Do not men want to be respected and revered? Do, doesn't it mean something when you hold the keys to the truth, right? I have the truth and no one else does, so come pay me $19.95 a month, follow me on Twitter, subscribe to my YouTube channel, become my Patreon, whatever it is, follow me and I will give you the best advice, right? And, and some of us, we do follow certain people for those, maybe financial advice or stocks, you know, or, or whatever it may be that we, we read those, but Peter's talking about specifically when it comes to your view and relationship with God. So here's the question. Who are you following? Who are you listening to? Who are you allowing to influence your mind and your life? And Peter is saying here that it shouldn't be a man. It shouldn't just be a man's word. It shouldn't be some legend or myth because that's going to lead you astray. He's like, that's not what we've come to you with. In chapter 2, we're going to get into false teachers and what all they do and how they live and the warnings against them. And this is what he's pre-warning us about. He said, when I came to you, I'm not following cunningly devised fables or legends, but what did I do instead? From his own personal account, he said, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What was Peter's focus in this? It wasn't boosting himself up. He didn't come with his own message. He didn't come with his own ideas. He said, when we came to you, when I came to you, I came, and this was my message, the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The focus was on Jesus. Peter wasn't about himself in this. He was all about Jesus. And he says, this is what we made known. We've seen this word know over and over and over again already in this first chapter, haven't we? This know of, this is something we've experienced. This is something we've lived through. This isn't just something we, we mentally assent to or have intellectual knowledge. This is something we've experienced and we've tasted and we've seen and we've heard. And that's what we declare unto you. And it's the power and coming of our Lord. He verbalized it. He preached it. Turn back to Acts 2, if you would, please. Acts chapter 2. This is uh, really the start of the New Testament church, a famous passage because Pentecost is covered here. And Peter's sermon, you know, after all the denial of Christ and the restoration, all of this, here Peter is, boom, front and center, apostle of Christ, and he's preaching. And what is he preaching about? We're just going to look at a few verses, even though there's a lot here. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 14. 
This is the beginning of his sermon. But Peter, Acts 2.14, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. So he's going to say something, and what are his words about? We'll look at verse 16. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. What is he saying? He's going back to Old Testament scripture. He's going back to the word. And he does this several times. He, he looks at several Old Testament, Old Testament people of David. And he says, this is what we're looking at. And then verse 22, this is old, the Old Testament he's arguing is pointing to verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves now know. What is Peter declaring? He's declaring to them Jesus and what Jesus had done and the miracles that proved that he was the very son of God, that he was God in the flesh come to save mankind, to restore that relationship with God. He verbalized it, he preached it, and then verse 32, he shows that Jesus even raised from the dead, verse 32, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. We've seen this, we've experienced it, and now we're declaring it unto you. Back to Second Peter. So who did he make known? He made known Jesus, the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming he was referring to is the first coming. As far as Christ has come, the Messiah is here. But we get into the last part of Second Peter, and he's going to talk about the second coming as well, that Christ is coming again. And just as sure as Christ came the first time, his second coming is just as sure as well in all of his power and glory. Verse 16 ends with this. But were eyewitnesses, we just saw that word, that witness word in Acts 2, of his majesty. What is Peter saying? I personally observed and saw with my own eyes Jesus and what he did. But he goes on in verse 17 to give really an amazing experience. Probably, you know, one of the heights of experience that Peter had here on this earth. And it was on a high place, a height place. It's debated on which mountain this took place, but it would have been a high place. And it's called now the Mount of Transfiguration. And you've heard of that term before. Look at verse 17. For he, that's Christ, received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory... This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard and were with him in the holy mount. What is he referring to? As we said, this is the Mount of Transfiguration. What happened on the Mount of Transfiguration? Well, there's three places that it's recorded. Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9. And they, they give similar and parallel accounts to that, some recording some words and others not. But let's go to Matthew 17 to see what Peter is talking about. When he said, we're eyewitnesses of his glory, of his majesty, of his power, he was referring specifically to this instance in Matthew chapter 17. So who's writing Matthew? Matthew, obviously. How did he know about this? Well, he wasn't there, we'll see. 
It was just Peter, James, and John. But yet he heard directly from Peter. Some say that's Mark got his source directly from that. So Matthew 17, starting in verse 1, it gives this account Peter's referring to. And notice, Peter only spends three verses on it himself. It's the other writers that, that fill in the details for us. It says, Matthew 17, verse 1, And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up an high mountain apart. So it's just the three of them. They go up a mountain, high up, apart from everyone else, and, and was, that is Jesus, transfigured before them. What does that word transfigure mean? Well, it goes on to explain that. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment white as the light. In other words, it, it was like he was glowing and, and emanating very bright light. What does this remind you of? Well, if you go forward in your Bible, Revelation, right? And the glory and the splendor and the brightness of Jesus' second coming. How is he coming the second time? On a white horse, dressed in white, right? And so this raiment shone as the light. In verse 3, And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, talking with him, or Elijah. Why Moses and Elijah? Who are Moses and Elijah? Well, if you're going to look at the Jews... You're going to look at their history, and you're going to look at their big wigs, their leaders. You're going to talk about Moses, and you're going to talk about Elijah. It, it's kind of the same way with our presidents. You know, who, who would we put at the top of the list, of pre, at least as far as presidents that are pretty much universally respected, revered, or looked up to, or at least presidents you know the name of? Let's start with that, right? <laughs> George Washington, right? You're going to talk about him. You're going to talk about Abraham Lincoln, Right? Those two. Who, who were in between them? Some guys, right? Maybe Thomas Jefferson, a guy named Madison. I don't know, right? But we know about George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. And this is kind of the same with Moses and with Elijah. Why Moses? What did Moses do? Well, he led the children of Israel out of the promised land after they'd been slaves for 400 years, walked them right through the midst of the Red Sea as it parted between them. They saw Pharaoh's army come in, the, the waves crashing down, and then they got to spend 40 years with Moses, griping in the wilderness, Moses talking with God, receiving the law, you know, asking God not to destroy everyone, but then doing miraculous things like getting water out of a rock. All of these things are happening in Moses' life. Great leader. And then Elijah, what did Elijah do? He had a short ministry right in the middle of the book of Kings, you know, surrounded by wickedness. Remember the people that he was dealing with, Ahab, Jezebel, all those people, all of Baal's, you know, gods. And here he's performing miraculous things, raising the widow's son from the dead. You know, all of these things, that, that army with, with Baal, all of that. So you look at these, these are amazing great men. And Christ is the one shining brighter. Christ is the one showing more glory, more power, more honor. So you take the top dudes you can think of is the idea, and Christ is greater and better because he's sent from God. So we go on to read verse 4. What would you do this in this situation? Then answered Peter, and he said unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Yeah, it is good for you to be here, Peter. I brought you. <laughs> if thou wilt, let us make... Here are three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah or Elias. 
So what was Peter's response? Well, we see in the other parallel passages that Peter, he's actually responding because he was terrified and he didn't know what to say. Some of us respond that way, right? In other words, Peter probably should have just kept your mouth shut at this time, but that's okay. I just got to say something. I don't know what else to do. Lord, this is amazing. I'm glad I'm here. Uh, Let's make some tabernacles, right? Let's set up some tents for the, in other words, I want these guys to stay and I want them to live here on earth and I, I want everyone else to see this. But what does Christ say? He says, no. Verse 5, while he yet spake, Peter that is, behold a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold a voice out of the cloud which said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. It's almost a kind way of saying, Peter, be quiet. Your, your word's not important right now. Here's what's important. You're listening to the words of Jesus. You're seeing Jesus who he is. We could go on more in here, but this is what Peter's talking about. We'll go back to Second Peter now, of this transfiguration, that the glory and the honor came upon Christ, and God the Father showed that this is my son. I'm well pleased. This is the one that you're supposed to listen to. In other words, if you're going to listen to anyone else, Peter, James, John, if you're going to listen to anyone, I've showed you, listen to Christ. And Peter was eyewitness of that. So that's what he's declaring of all that glory and honor. Remember what Philippians 2, 6, and 7 says? It says Christ emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, came in the likeness of men. The idea there of emptying is not that he gave up any of his attributes of God, Emptying really means he humbled himself and actually added, in a sense, he took on humanity. In other words, he left the glories of heaven and all that splendor and came to earth. And if, if, if someone would do that, if, if God would do that, then Peter is saying, God is saying, listen to him. This is the one that you're supposed to pay attention to. And then Peter ends in verse 18 of this section, and of 2 Peter 1. And this verse which came from heaven, we heard and were with him in the mount. Remember in verse 16, he said, eyewitnesses. Peter is saying, we saw, we heard, we were there. All of that happened with this transfiguration and Jesus' ministry. In other words, if you want the truth of what really happened of an eyewitness account, a guy was, who was there, a guy who, ta- who touched, who saw, who heard Jesus, Peter says, that's me in a sense. You, listen to me, but I'm going to point you to Jesus. But then he does really something quite interesting. He goes on in verse 19 to say, well, what about those of you that aren't eyewitnesses? Well, there's something that you need to look to, and that is sure and certain. That's verses 19 through 21, and that's God's revelation. Look at verse 19, where Peter says, after all that he said about his eyewitness account, he says, we also have a more sure word of prophecy. And what is he talking about there? Well, what does sure word of prophecy mean? Well, prophecy is what God has revealed And both what Old Testament prophets then would have both foretold, they would have preached it, what was happening right then, but also foretold. They would tell about the future events too. That's what the Old Testament prophets did, and they wrote it down, what God had said and told them, they wrote it down, and that's what we have in the Old Testament scriptures, something that 
Peter would have been very well acquainted of. So we have a sure word of that prophecy. And you could take it two ways, that, that the Old Testament is sure because, you know, the transfiguration and that proved it. Or some people would say, still scripture is even more sure than even Peter's own experience. I think you can take a little of both there. That we have the Old Testament, and it is sure and it is certain God has fulfilled prophecy and will continue to do so. In other words, God's kept his promise, so you can look at the Old Testament and say, it is true. And then you can look at the New Testament and say, these are people who saw it was true and experienced Christ himself. They were eyewitnesses of it. The New Testament is true. They were right there. They were right with it. So he's saying, we have then in our hands the prophecy God's foretelling and foretelling in his word that it is certain and it is sure. So, what's the response? Well, he goes on to say, wherefore, whereunto, rather, ye do well. You want to do well in life? You want to do what's right? He said, then take heed to this sure and certain word. And he's saying, we have. In other words, we have a more sure word of prophecy showing his apostolic authority that he saw Christ, we listen to him because he knows Christ and is preaching Christ. But then he gives a command to us to take heed, to pay attention above everything else. And what does this sure word look like? Well, that's what he ends verse 19 with, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Have you ever been in a really dark place? Can't even see the hand, your hand in front of you? I know Pastor Jeff talks about that hunting sometimes when it's just cloudy on the side of the mountain. And what a small amount of light makes all the difference in the world, right? To be able to see just where you need to go, the next step, the next path. So Peter is saying that's what God's word does for us in our lives right now. Are we in a dark place right now? Are you in a dark place right now? In other words, are there unknowns in your life? Health? What happens next? Family? Relationships? Or is really what Peter's referring to is is dark places because of the worldly influence around? Are there people who are anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Scripture, and they want darkness, right? Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So Peter is saying this, this word God's revelation is shining brightly forth in a dark place. That's why when Pastor Jeff or, or I get up here, we're not, we're not here to tell you our word or our thought. We're here to tell you God's word because it's what shines brightly in a dark place. Now, I may give you some advice. It may not be good advice, though. <laughs> so I'd, I'd, I'd say it this way. You, you, you can follow me, but only as I follow Christ, right? That's the ultimate goal, is come on, let's go together and follow and look to Christ in his word. And he says, as a light that shineth in a dark place, verse 19, until the day dawn. The day dawn. What, what is the difference between your little phone flashlight in pitch black darkness versus the day dawning? If you're out on a mountainside, how much do you see with your little flashlight? Well, you might have one of those really cool, powerful ones, you know, piercing beam, spotlight. You can search for a way, ways out. But when the day is dawning, that, that's a whole different amount of light, right? The whole sun shining, 
Now you can actually see all of the mountains, all of the trees. So right now we have the scripture, we have that light that tells us next step, that guides our path like Psalm 119 says. But what are we waiting for until the day dawn, until the full brightness and light comes? And what, who is that full brightness? Or what is he referring to? Well, he'll go on later to, to talk about Christ's second coming, to Christ returning. In other words, the day dawning is the day of the Lord, Christ himself returning. And then he also goes on to say specifically the day star or morning star is the idea, arise in your hearts. The day star is the light bringer. It's that first light of day or that first star that you see in the morning that's brighter than all the others. And here he's saying Christ in you, Christ himself, should right now be growing that light in you so that when he comes and brings the full brightness, you're ready, you're expecting. You're saying, yeah, that's my God, that's my Jesus. I'm following him and I'm going to follow him. And it echoes Revelation, you know, twenty-two, sixteen. It talks of Christ being that light. Remember, in heaven, there's no need of the sun because of Christ himself. Revelation twenty-two, sixteen says, I, Jesus, this is Jesus himself talking, have sent my angels to testify unto you these things to the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, prophecies of the Old Testament, and in the bright and morning star, I'm the one coming again. So we have a sure word of prophecy. And that's what then he explains and backs up in verses 20 and 21. Because he goes on to say, knowing this first, that if you want to know why it's sure and that you have the scriptures in your hands, he says in twenty, verse 20, this is why. No prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. So he starts with knowing. You've got to realize this personally for yourself. And he says that no prophecy. What is prophecy? As we said, it's God's words. It's his foretelling and foretelling of, of his words. Prophecy of scripture. Scripture is just the writing down. It's the writing. So it's God's words written down. What we have in our hands right now. It's, it's talking of the Old Testament specifically because that's what Peter would have been referring to but by implication also the New Testament with the authority of Christ and the apostles behind it. So the scriptures themselves, he's saying, are not of any private interpretation. What does private mean? It has the idea of unique or one's own, and you could insert the word mind, coming from your own thought or mind. That scripture, what we have written down here, did not come, is not from a man's mind. It's not just something man thought up, said, oh, that sounds good, I'll write it down. That word interpretation, really at its base root meaning, just means loosing or releasing. So it's not from one man just releasing his thoughts out there. That's the, that's the basic sense or idea. That the scriptures are not just someone's social media feed. The scriptures isn't just some guy talking on TV and just saying whatever's on his mind. Peter's saying, no, it's something much different. So then how did it come about? If it's not man's great ideas, verse 21 tells us, for prophecy came not in old time, the Old Testament, by the will of man. 
do men try to will it? Are there men who have said, yes, this is scripture? Yeah, we have cults because of that very thing. I have found, you know, the hidden key or the new revelation that's going to unlock it, even though it doesn't match up with the rest of scripture. You know, it's similar in some ways, but then twists others. So what we have is not by the will of man, but then how did it come about? Well, verse 21, the last part says, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Who are these holy men? Well, these are the prophets, Old Testament prophets. And what did they do? They, they spake, they said God's word. How did God's word come in the Old Testament? What is that phrase? Thus saith the Lord. You see that over and over and over again. Thus saith the Lord. A lot of times, there's no vision, there's no dream, there's no tablets found buried under a stone, there's nothing mystical or magical. What was it? It was simply a prophet that said, thus saith the Lord. God just gave his words to men in his goodness and his graciousness. Think about this. Did God have to reveal himself to us? Well, he does through creation. Every man knows that there is a God. Creation shows that. But did he have to reveal himself in his word? No, God, he could have been silent, right? In other words, would we be able to figure out who God is if he hadn't revealed himself? No. So it was in God's goodness and in his graciousness that he spake. He gave men his words. And it was God's words that they were saying. And then they, it says this is how it happened. They were moved by the Holy Ghost. That word moved is important. It has the idea of being borne along or carried. The visualization often given with this is a ship a sail ship that is being born or moved along with the wind, the wind blowing. If you have a sail ship without wind, what do you have? <laughs> you have to use your motors, right? <laughs> we have enough of those now. That <laughs> but back then, you weren't going anywhere, right? It wasn't going to be moved or borne along. So the wind moves it along. And so there's parts of scripture that they're not straight dictation. It's not like God was a typewriter on every man because we see in scripture that there are you know, different ways and styles and personalities that show through. But yet it wasn't on the other extreme of some you know, et, et, you know, ecstatic vision that someone had. It was just simply the Holy Spirit directing the minds and thoughts and words that men wrote down. And that's how God gave his word. Turn to 2 Peter 3.16. This is another very important passage on this subject. 2 Timothy 3.16. It's God and the Holy Spirit is the one that is giving this. And we just looked at this word moved, that it is, you know, carried about like wind in the sails of a ship. Verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3 says, all scripture, so he's saying everything now here, Paul is, is given by inspiration of God. What is inspiration? We think of inspiration often as, you know, I was inspired to do a good thing. I was inspired to make a New Year's resolution, and we'll see if that happens or not. It's, it's just kind of this emotional, you know, see, inspiration here literally means God breathed. It's, it's what I'm doing right now as I'm speaking to you. I'm having to breathe out, right? Having to give out words and breathe out. And so scripture 
is God-breathed. It's his words. It's his will. It reveals him. And so, like Peter says, heed it, or like Paul says here, it's profitable Pay attention because it's profitable for four things, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The idea there is, if you think of doctrine, it's the correct teaching. It tells us what's, what is the right path. It's for reproof. It tells us when we're not on the right path, hey, you've done messed up. For correction, it tells us how to get back on the right path. It corrects us. For instruction in righteousness, that's the idea of keeping us continually on that right path. And the scripture is profitable for all of those things. Verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect or mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Do you want the truth? Do you want to be a mature Christian? Do you want to walk with God? Heed his word. Listen to the sure word that we have. Get it in your Bible because it reveals who Christ is and what he has said. A certain word, in other words, since this word is certain, it demands our most certain dependence upon it. Those around us may deny it, but it shines forth. It shows who Christ is. So that one day when he comes, like the the brightness of the sun, he's going to show to all that yes, this is his word. Yes, it is true. So, don't be deceived. Listen to Peter's personal account and his testimony, his really, his revelation of God's revelation that we have a certain word that we can depend upon. Are you depending upon God's certain word today? Are you reading it? Are you studying it? Are you looking at it so that you can grow in grace? You can grow in your relationship with Christ.